This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, July 27th of 2017, it's episode 114. In this episode, Matthew Serber joins us to discuss counseling concepts at the gaming table. Plus, big skills and little skills, Canadian nuclear wildlife, the West River Center, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Matthew. So we have an interesting guest on. I I say interesting because I found Matthew perhaps through the most random means possible, namely various Reddit comments, (laughs) uh, which is pretty fun. But Matthew, you turn out to be a fascinating guy and we're really excited to hear from you. Uh, Go ahead and introduce yourself here real quick. Yeah, so I'm Matthew Serber, and I'm the program director of the West River Center. Uh, we're a United Methodist-funded and supported retreat center and summer camp in uh, Maryland, just south of Annapolis. Awesome. And you've got a background in youth ministry and counseling, as I understand it. Yeah, so I did maybe five years of youth ministry before getting married, um, and I did uh, a year of wilderness counseling um, with a group called Eckerd Youth Alternatives in North Carolina. So we literally lived in the woods for a year with and was group therapy. So I had 10 kids that I worked with and you worked for five days straight living in the same sort of quasi tent hut area. Um, mm-hmm. And it was fascinating and exciting and the hardest job I've ever had. So I'm, <laughs> I bet. Whereabouts was that in North Carolina? Because I'm in South Carolina and I've done a lot of camps in North Carolina. Yeah, so it was a little bit east of Elizabethtown. Um, it was in one of the state forests right there in that area. Okay. I've been close to that then, I believe. Uh, yeah, if you know where White Lake is, I think it's right in that area. Yeah, yeah. I actually know Elizabethtown uh, better than White Lake. Okay, right. cool. Excellent. Uh, lovely area. So, and I can only assume Maryland is just as gorgeous once you get up in the mountains. So, Yeah, we've got a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm right on the water, so I sit at like negative four feet above sea level, below huh. sea level. So it's pretty good. Yeah, that's great. Well, cool. So, you know, I, I mentioned that I kind of came in contact with you through comments on a Reddit thread. Well, that... that thread that we were talking about was a uh, very good article that Kotaku put out not long ago about therapists using D&D to get kids uh, to kind of open up, talk about themselves, and D&D as a therapy tool, which of course we've previously had the executive director of the Badana Group, Jack Birkenstock, on uh, episode 25. He was kind of our first introduction to this concept, and he's been a great friend of the show ever since. We're actually hoping to have him on next month. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Stay tuned. Yeah. (laughs) We actually met some of the other folks that we've had on, like Sarah Lynn Bowman, kind of through him, too. So that was kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, and we're working to get Wheelhouse Workshop on the show as well, that sort of thing. So that's really cool. And you mentioned in the comments on this article in the, I believe it was the RRPG subreddit or RD&D. I'm not sure which one. I really should dig that thread up at some point. <laughs> and link it in the show notes, perhaps? Yeah, may I mean, I guess. <laughs> that seems like, I guess, the responsible thing to do. But you'd mentioned that you were working on a game to use as a counseling tool. Yeah, so I'm loosely affiliated with a group called Defy Danger. We we put together a weekend once a year where it's a bunch of players and GMs. We get together and we just, you know, go whole hog for three or four days. And one of the guys that plays with us is a a licensed therapist. and, And he and I got to talking just about what could it look like to work with kids with this kind of um, framework where you really want to develop a sense of understanding of other people and how do you build a game around that and what would that look like? Um, it needs to be simple enough to be functional in an elementary school classroom. It needs to be simple enough that an adult doesn't need to sit down 
to, you know, you don't need a GM, you don't mm-hmm. need anybody to run it. Um, and so we started brainstorming what that would look like. And, it, you know, something card-based, something with a sense of randomness, something with some traits. So you could say, hey, like, in this particular adventure, I want to try being really overly energetic. And what does that mean for the rest of the group if that's sort of a trait that I, I am wrestling with? Um, and how does that benefit and how does that hinder and things like that? So we're we're in a pretty loose stage due to the constraints of my job. I don't really do anything between May and August that's not work-related. So it's kind of on the back shelf at the moment, but I'm looking forward to pulling it out again this fall and seeing where we can get with it. So that sounds great. Now, I have to ask, your Defy Danger Group, is that named after the Dungeon World move? It is, yeah. That was sort of <laughs> our, our loose inspiration. Um, nice. So there's a group, uh, it's called Defy Danger Adventures, um, and I, I'm happy to throw that link up there. And it's oh, a yeah. bunch of different folks that, that pull things together. If you were aware during um, D&D 4th Edition, there was a group called 4th Core, um, which were like super death trappy dungeons. Um, and we kind of spawned off of that. And so now it's a little bit more loose. Um, one of our players just put out um, Edge of the Frontier, which is like a Wild West, Edge of the Empire mashup kind of thing. So there's some folks putting some interesting things out there. And it's fun to hang out with a group that's just really like, hey, how can we twist this and work this? And and what if you tried that? So it's it's a good group to be a part of if you're kind of brainstorming these game ideas. That's great. Now, I have to admit, I have not actually played Dungeon World, but I have played other All right. Powered by the Apocalypse games. So, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, good stuff. Uh, let me ask you this. We normally try and give people a, a chance to plug something. Do you want to try and plug that uh, Defy Danger Adventures group? Or do you have something else you want to kind of bring to everyone's attention? This West River Center, for example? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the the thing that I, I'm the most passionate about is retreat and camping ministry. And, it, it you know, I, I love where I work. I love the place that I'm with. Um, the West River Center, but there's so many wonderful camps out there um, kind of doing a very similar thing across the country. Brian McLaren says that, you know, Retreat and Camping Ministries is basically a short-term monastic experience. Um, and I think the concept that we can get kids away from the everyday um, and sit them in a Christian community and have good conversation about what life can look like, that's the kind of stuff that really inspires me. And that it's that kind of growth that I like to kind of twist into my game design when I'm doing stuff with my players. How can I get them thinking about the world at large and not just, you know, what we're seeing at the table, but how does what we're seeing at the table kind of what's that expanded and, and what does that look like in the big picture? But then, you know, kids getting to do stuff that's totally outside of their comfort zone, high ropes and paddling and archery and, and all that kind of stuff mixed in with just some good worship and praise and things like that. That's that's definitely where my heart lies. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can tell you uh, as somebody who, Again, grew up within spitting distance of the Appalachian Mountains. Summer camps were a big part of most of my summers, frankly, because parents were like, what? I can just get this kid out of the house for a week? Great. <laughs> Go. Right. Yep. Um, but, you know, things like Montreat, which is a, mm-hmm. a big Presbyterian. Yep. I know Montreat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Presbyterian College up in North Carolina, for those who don't know. And they do a summer camp, big summer camp for Presbyterian kids there every summer. It's, it's really good. Number of other ones, Camp Buck, for example, various different camps, plenty of scout camps as well. Those were a big part of my life growing up, and they they helped in a lot of different ways. So I'm I'm excited to have anyone on the show who's a part of that, especially somebody who's also a gamer. That's that's just rad. Yeah, and I always enjoy adding another United Methodist to our uh, list of <laughs> guest hosts. <laughs> we, I'll tell you, we are. A 
probably Methodist dominated at this point, especially if you look at the number of guests we've had. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had Derek on three times, you know, we plus I'm the most recurring host on this podcast. So, yes, I... you've actually been on more than me, which is great. Yeah, huh. I, have, I have been on every episode except for one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've got a little bit more to talk about. Jenny specifically wanted to follow up on something she mentioned previously, I believe. Namely, wildlife at work. I'm not sure if we talked about this on the mics last time. I don't think we talked about it on the mics. I have talked very briefly about where I work. I actually talked about my issues with with fingerprinting related to my job. I think that was the only thing like job related thing that I've talked about actually on the mics. And once I actually finish this job, because it's only a summer job, I've got some stories I could tell other than this one. But I think it relates into the whole camping thing. So I work at a nuclear research facility. I am not a scientist. I'm not super, super sciencey smart. I don't know all the secrets to the nuclear universe, but... You work at a secret place in the woods. Let's let's not beat around the bush here. It's not that secret. You can bike to it. It's really easy. <laughs> My dad does it. My dad bikes to work relatively regularly. It's not super secret. It's one of actually the better known research facilities in Canada, possibly the world we get talked about a fair amount but um so b- for security reasons <laughs> it's in the woods it's hard to get to uh if you don't know where you're going it's also that that way so that if there were some sort of radiation disaster it would take longer for the fallout to reach the rest of like like the surrounding towns and right so we're in the woods and there are two main parking lots one of which is close to buildings one of which is in woods and this parking lot in the woods, that's where my carpool generally parks, just because it's its less crowded. Uh, it takes a little longer to get to the uh, main security building, but, eh, you know, whatever. Um, easier parking, easier life. So my friend who I carpool with and I are, are walking down to the main security building the other day, and there's a bunch of turkeys. Turkeys are not uncommon. They're generally only seen in, in pairs, though. Rarely three. There were three turkeys. Two of them were sitting calmly on the grass. I think they were lady turkeys. It's hard to tell sometimes, but I think they were lady turkeys. Just chilling in the grass, you know, whatever. And this one male turkey has discovered his reflection in a very clean pickup truck and is attacking it with precision and force. <laughs> like, he he looks at it. He gives it the side eye. And then he pecks really hard, just one huge clunk. Then he steps back, admires his work, and then lines up another shot and does it again. And he's doing this the entire time that my friend and I are walking down to the to the security building. And he's gobbling the whole time. So what do you think the over-under that the insurance agent can actually keep a straight face hearing this story? We, we were actually trying to figure that out. Like, if this guy's paint gets scratched up, I'm not too concerned about, like, dents in the car, because they wouldn't be large dents. They'd just be the kind that you could plunge out yourself. But the, the paint job, though, and it was a nice, fresh-looking car, we were trying to figure out whether or not the insurance company would count turkey damage. <laughs> With with whatever deductibles the individual could get. I, I really hope their car is okay. Um, File under active bird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something. So, uh, that's, so that's, that's the And turkeys. that does remind me, um, Peter, when we start up the D&D game again. Yeah? Remind me to have some part of nature just doing something stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Just, we need to, at some point, have you guys walk past something and just kind of look, watch for a little bit. 
and then just shrug keep and, walking. Just shrug yeah. and move on. Yeah, like sort of pick your battles here. Like is yeah. is this animal's stupidity really worth it worth your time? Yeah. You know, big, dumb, dangerous, and utterly distracted by something inane. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. A bear trying to get a coconut open or something. Yeah, something along those lines. Like we could do something about it, or we could just kind of watch, laugh, and move on. Yeah. Another wildlife story though, it's not really a story, but I learned recently that foxes have the most terrifying screams of all time. Because one managed to get inside the active area, like the active area fence, which means like the area where all the experiments get done. And that's where I am. And having a angry screaming fox running around the outside of your building in a circuit is intimidating. (laughs) It's, It's scary. It sounds like some kind of demon escaping the earth. So... If you ever want to creep out your players really bad, pull up some fox noises and uh, and you're golden. You're ready to go. You just play that. It, it's it's really creepy. And then two weeks yeah. later, when your players are finally feeling safe enough to venture back to the gaming venue, you can continue. <laughs> huh? <laughs> nice. Yep. Okay. Well, nature stuff having been at least mentioned, we do need to move on to our Patreon question and then address our main topic here, along with Matthew. So let's go ahead and roll on our big old table of questions here, shall we? Let's do it. So this is from a fairly new Patreon backer, so thank you. This is from Tom, Tom Stevens. All other things being equal, do you prefer systems with lots of small, focused skills or ones with broad skills that cover lots of situations? For example, in a sci-fi game, one system might have separate skills for operating a computer, defeating the security system, programming, and repairing computers, while another might just have a generic computer skill that discovers all of those. Uh, He's got a few more uh, examples in here, but I think that is sufficient. Who wants to go first on this? Who's gotten a a strong opinion one way or the other? I'll take this one because I actually have a short answer for a change. I used to prefer the much more granular skill systems back when I had more time. Now, as I've gotten older, I have really come to appreciate the broader ones, and I don't really see myself going back. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, for me, it's um, it's a combination. I like, I'm good with either, assuming the system, like, is totally that way. There's a couple systems out there where, like, you've got three or four really broad skills and three or four that are really, like, small focused, and when a game is written that way, it just kind of boggles my mind as to why I want to take any one particular one of those small ones. Um, so I like it. As long as the game has designed itself at either end of the spectrum, I'm much happier than when they try to sit in the middle. Mm, good mm. point. Yeah. For me, so I used to be all about very detailed granular skills, but that's because I started with D&D 3.0 and Shadowrun. So there you go. That'll do it. Uh, yeah, oh boy, will it ever. And <laughs> it's somehow managed to not traumatize you out of the hobby, so well, good there. No, I mean, there, <laughs> there are good things about those systems. Hey, I, started with, I started with GURPS, which is the most granular of all, and it didn't traumatize me out of the hobby either. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I had the advantage of starting with Shadowrun, which is great, because it's Shadowrun. Yeah. I mean, except for all <laughs> the system parts that are Shadowrun. <laughs> but setting... Whew, yeah, yeah, that aesthetic, that. though. Yeah. That, that cyberpunk but, aesthetic. I will say this. I have gone from all these granular skills are awesome through I want everything as simple as possible and kind of have started edging the other way a little bit. There's a point where it's so broad 
that we might as well not have these skill concepts at all. Or in some cases, I look at it and go, I want a little more indication of what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. Because sometimes they're so broad that it's like, well, I know people who are good at one of these and not good at the other. And they're all lumped under this one rating that, you know, I'm rolling on and I have a, I'm really good at it. Well, are you really? Are you always? Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of started to edge the other way. Not all the way back to GURPS, Shadowrun, another nonsense where it's like, <laughs> yeah, that, that level of incredible, ridiculous granularity. This is not Cinnabar, okay? <laughs> but... I do want a bit of definition and something that mechanically says, I'm good at this, I'm bad at that. Now, there are ways around this. Like, I'm if there's a, a simple mechanism to say, I'm good at this, I'm bad at that, even though they're kind of conceptually the same thing, I'm fine with it, but I want some distinction there. Yeah. I think, I think I'm in a similar sort of boat to you, Grant. Like, for me... For me, it's more of a nostalgia versus practicality thing. Like, I I still look fondly back at my D&D 3.0 days, which, by the way, uh, Matthew, uh, was very, very early. I have been gaming for a very long time. I've been gaming since I was about four years old. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nerd parents. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, she's the youngest and she may have the longest gaming history. Yeah. yeah. All right. But yeah, so so skills. So I started off really with older D&D with 3.0 and a lot of skills. And now we've are with our current campaign, we've started a system that's very D&D inspired uh called Beyond the Wall that gives you two skills and then everything else is ability checks. And as much as I like the broadness of that, I know that I am an artistic person. But I know that I am way better at music than I am at visual art. I, I like having those distinctions. I like being able to say, hey, this is something that I can do in this subset of things you can do. And I'm starting to get a little bit more micromanagey as I get older. So, yeah. Yeah. This is one reason I like the identity system that Unknown Army's third edition has. It kind of elides the question entirely by saying, who cares about skills? Let's talk about who you are, and that implies what you're good and bad at. Mm -hmm. I can say things like, of course I can paint. I'm a painter. But that immediately precludes, of course I can play music. Yeah, or yeah. of course I can set up a DHCP router. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a network admin. But that's, yeah. again, that does not imply painting or music. You just, with a little bit of common sense, understand, yeah, this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm bad at. I'm kind of starting to lean that way, where it's like, let's look at other ways to define people than kind of the old classic stats and skills. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. There's there's a guy named Grant Howitt who writes these really ridiculous one-shot kind of, like, one-page games. Love um, them. And I, and I pulled one of them out called Honey Heist one night. It's um, so good. I yeah, want to play so that so badly. So you're either, you're a criminal bear, and so either you do something that's bear-related, and you roll like, okay, I'm a bear, I can push over a tree, or you roll like, you're criminal, and you're like, okay, I can open a window. It, it kind of goes to that, who are you, what are you about, and does it make sense? So when we had bears driving like, mech like mechanized, armored things, and firing rockets, we were a little, we kind of lost it a little bit there. Yeah, by the way. Honey Heist is amazing. I will link it in the show notes. And I recently saw on Twitter, somebody had made a t-shirt with all the Honey Heist rules on it. <laughs> That's how small nice. and tight this game is. It's great. 
Yeah, I've got it pulled up right now. It is literally a notebook page. It really is. It's beautiful. Again, too simple for this particular question, but for a, a silly one shot over, you know, beers and pretzels, great. That sounds glorious. It's it's really good. Also, bear criminal seems like a really scary combination to encounter. <laughs> oh, they are, though. Bears are freaking criminals. Two thirds of my friend list is like, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so, all right, let's move on. Let's handle our scripture here real quick. And then let's get into this uh, this topic that we brought Matthew on to talk about that is not Tom Stevens's question. But Tom, thank you very much. It's a good question. And for anyone else who wants to get their question on our list or support our show, just go to patreon.com slash saving the game. Your contributions keep us on the air. We're 100% listener funded because of folks like you. So thank you. Wonderful, wonderful folks like you. All right. So I'm going to jump in here and start with Jonah chapter two, verse two. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. Psalm 119, verse 76 May your unfailing love be my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. Mark 2, 15-17 While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we kind of brought Matthew on to talk about a couple of different related things, I think, here. But I kind of want to generally call this topic gaming and counseling. Because as somebody who is a counseling professional, he's a whole lot more qualified to talk about counseling and talk about how that relates to things like, uh, you know, our own tabletop games, using games as a counseling tool when you shouldn't do that, because, of course, the dangerous amateur counseling session is always a, a risk for people who have good intentions but maybe aren't familiar with what they're actually trying to do, that sort of thing. So I wanted to throw this open a little bit to Matthew and ask you, first of all, when we talk about counseling, I think we all have some idea of what that is in our head, but what are some basic principles of counseling as opposed to things like therapy, you know, especially uh, psychotherapy and that sort of thing, or, quote, just talking it out with someone or, or anything else along those lines? When we talk about counseling as a technique, a tool, what do we mean? Yeah, I, and I think that's a there's a lot of broadness to that question. Um, I do like that you delineated counseling from therapy. I'm not in any way, shape, or form a licensed therapist. I'm working on a master's with a focus in pastoral counseling. I've been doing some variety of counseling for probably 15 years now with different groups, primarily youth. Um, and I think for me, the, the really important thing is that counseling is you're creating a space to talk about complicated issues and to, to let people kind of bear a little bit more of themselves. And I think the reason that gaming allows for that so much is because you can set up a proxy for yourself. You yourself are not an elven warrior, um, and you've never had to deal with the destruction of your, you know, your entire race, but you can put that out there and suddenly sort of confront death in a different way and have that conversation about, man, what would it be like um, to lose all of the people that are most near and dear to you, and, and how do you respond to that, and then how do other people respond in your community? Um, it, it just creates a really fantastic platform for some hard conversations where you don't necessarily have to bear your soul to them. You don't have to own up and say, yeah, that's me. I've been in that spot. But you can kind of test the waters a little bit. And, and hopefully a group that's created a bond of trust 
with a GM who you believe can kind of handle those conversations and can take the game in a healthy place with some folks that can potentially debrief afterward and be like, yeah, that was, you know, that was really cool. I'm, I'm glad you kind of shared that piece of your character. Um, it made me think and things like that. Okay. And, you know, in the, in the principles thing, I wrote down just a couple of things that I think are really critical um, mm-hmm. to creating a group where these things can happen. And, and the number one thing is going to be trust. And I think, mm. and it's this concept that like, and, and we talk about this all the time in gaming groups, you know, when you've got like the chaotic neutral rogue and you got, you know, it's a group of paladins and it's why is that group together? Like, why is that character there? Um, and so we say, hey, for a good GM should really dig into those reasons and figure out what's the core of why those people are there. And I think, you know, a group that's willing to go deeper into some stuff you're going to have had to have that conversation about why are we all here? Like, what's our purpose as a group? What's our purpose as players? What's our purpose as characters? And we have to be on the same page with that. We really have to say, hey, yeah, I'm invested in this. I'm, I'm going to listen when you talk. I'm going to, you know, I've got, you know, my devices put away. I'm really present at the table. I'm intentional about being here. And I think when folks do that, then I think, you know, the game can change direction into something really special. And it's hard to find a group that's all willing to be there. And I think that takes some work. And I, and I think this isn't the kind of thing that most groups are ever going to go for. Um, and that's totally okay. There's a lot of different, really valuable ways to game. I think this is just one thing that you can kind of spice up into your gaming if you've got a group that's healthy and ready to try something like that. Man, just hearing you talk about the different motivations and alignments makes me want to get our D&D game going again. <laughs> I know, I know. We just got to wait for one player to finish moving. And then yep. I, I've been thinking about it this past week, actually, thinking of other things to do. It's interesting, Matthew, that you, I, I'm not going to say conflated, but you tied together so tightly trust and attentiveness, the idea that we're paying attention to each other. I think a lot of games suffer from distraction where oh it's not my turn i'm not paying attention i'm doing something else i i was kind of half listening what was that what what did you say what what was the plan right yeah absolutely and i think that you know that goes to like any conversation that you're going to have that's going to be meaningful if the other person is checked out that conversation's over um Mm -hmm. you know if you're not getting feedback and a response of some indication that yeah i'm interested in what you're saying then great we're moving on we're going to do something else now yeah one person's investing emotionally and the other isn't absolutely yeah everybody's got to be equal on on equal footing in that kind of a conversation and that kind of game all right so so that's trust what's next so i put down this idea of safe space and creating a bond and i think it, it goes into trust but it's also like we need to know what topics are okay and what topics we're just not going to go to, you know, what's just not comfortable at our table. But then also, do we have the the wherewithal and the capacity to unpack it? You know, if we get into something that there's some moral choice and ethical dilemma and somebody, you know, somebody's character and therefore their player is wrestling with something big, do we have the time to really see that through? Or is it just sort of like we're just kind of dropping it and walking by? If you want to put something big in there, you really need to say, hey, let's let's dig into that and let's have time for that to be a real actual thing. Um, and, you know, we'll talk maybe a little bit at some point that I'm with my some of my staff. I run a Dungeon World game in the summer um, and I had one player who, by the actions of another player, ended up speaking with the ghost of their dead mother whom they didn't know was dead and their mother was disappointed in them because they took up the life of a fighter. And so that player was, they kind of were permanently stricken with this fear of the undead. 
And it was, it was something that we touched on multiple times, just about like this sort of parental approval of what you're doing and how you're living your life. And, you know, all of, you know, my staff are primarily college age, you know, young people. So that's, that's a big real topic for them is this, you know, idea of, are my parents comfortable with the, the choices I've made in the way that I live my life? Um, and so it was, it was kind of fun to have that in there and have that be like a real piece of tension that was going on both for the character and for the player. I think that's a really good observation there in that this kind of goes beyond what we have typically just handled as a conversation about lines and veils and that not only do you have kind of the ability to avoid stuff that would be upsetting or too much for somebody at the table, but if you're willing to give something the time it merits, you can probably expand that list out a little bit. I think a lot of the time where groups start running into problems with heavier topics is when they're really not given any kind of respect and the irreverence compounds kind of the intensity of the topic in kind of a nasty way. Yeah, or possibly because the group hasn't decided, whether implicitly or explicitly, that this is a place to address those. Yeah, that too. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminds me, uh, Matthew, we had this happen months ago. I was in a Pugmire game. I don't know if you're familiar with Pugmire. Not at all. Okay. It's D&D 5th edition with dogs. <laughs> all right. You're, you're basically humanoid dogs in a fantasy setting that is post-human. So the moral code is being a good boy <laughs> or being a good dog. Yeah. Spellcasters cast spells by channeling leftover relics of humanity who all went away somewhere and no one's quite sure what happened. Uh, But they left these uplifted dogs and cats and badgers and other things around. Uh, So it's this kind of weird, interesting fantasy world built on the ruins of a so advanced it's magic human sci-fi setting. Great game. But we had a situation come up where one of our players kind of had a a, a bit of a meltdown after like our second uh, session of Pugmire. And the reason was we were playing it like it was normal D&D. You know, oh, hey, we're getting into a fight with some bandits. Let's let's kill some bandits. Well, those bandits were dogs. This is a guy who owns dogs, oh. loves dogs. All of a sudden, dogs are dying. Mm-hmm. And he's he's killing dogs. Yeah, I ran into something similar in a Pugmire con game. But go ahead. We can. Yeah, we, I know for you, it was cats. We talked yeah. about it. Or you guys talked about it um, on your, your bonus episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a similar thing. And thankfully, our gaming group is made of very close friends. And so. We had about a 30-minute conversation before the next session when it, it ate into our session time, but we didn't care, talking it over and all kind of agreeing that we would be doing our best to not be killing dogs, right? This is not, hey, let's go cut down some goblins. It's, I'm playing a guy who's got a sneak attack. I'm playing a rogue character. For me, sneaking attacking is no longer, I just run the guy through. It's, yeah, I come up behind him and bonk him on the head with the hilt of the rapier and he's knocked out. We talked it over and we're able to to create that, but... If you don't have a group where that conversation is okay, whether or not you plan for it, you're going to run into issues where all of a sudden it's like, oh, I just, I can't game with these guys anymore. Or you say, well, we just need to change the game. And, and you get away from it instead of addressing it and turning it into a good conversation. Yeah, and sometimes that happens without much conversation beyond that, because there's this, this I guess, gets to that battered group syndrome episode we need to eventually do. But there's mm-hmm. seems to be this like persistent cultural thread through gaming where the perception is the only valid way to object is to just leave. You know, if you don't like everything in the in the game and you can't handle something, then that game is not for you. That group is not for you. 
you have no recourse other than departure. So go. And yeah. it's, that is very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I agree. The next thing on your list here is empathy and being empathy focused. Drill into that a little bit for me. Well, I think there's there's something to be said. And, and part of the reason why I love kind of a looser game with my staff is because I feel like I can set a different tone when there's not a lot of crunch in front of a player when when I can say, hey, like, no, this isn't going to be on your character sheet. Like, you're not going to find the answer to this, you know, in your stat block. I'm just going to ask you this question. This concept of like, I like to ask, what is your character feeling right now? Or like, why is this okay? Or why do they think that they want to do this? And and what it does is it requires you to then sort of take a temporary residence in that character's brain and say, okay, well, uh, so I'm playing a really bookish wizard um, and I've studied all these spells and I really like want to know more and I'm really tempted by knowledge and information. So I might make a morally gray decision here because of that. Then you kind of have that po- that data point to be like, hey, I remember this one time a friend of mine made like a morally gray decision in this situation. Gosh, I wonder if there was a motivation there that I just didn't see, that it totally would have made sense to them and I wasn't aware of it um, because I never had that conversation. And I think I think it's when you ask those interesting questions. And, and I know a lot of people like to write like pages of backstory, and I think that's fantastic. But I don't know how many GMs like follow up on that and say, okay, yeah, I get that that's your backstory. So what about that is coloring your behavior right now? Like explain that to the group because you just did this thing that put the group in a really awkward spot and they're mad at you, but like explain why, Um, explain like why you did that so that the group, like the characters can hear that and can understand that. Cutting away to that inner dialogue or monologue. Right, exactly. And those aren't questions that we often ask other people in a situation like, hey, somebody just like cut in front of me in line and that really made me angry but we didn't have a chance to like actually figure out why. Um, but in the game, you can like pause and be like, hey, this is a really interesting thing. Let's take a moment and like kind of piece that together. Oh, and hey, like other character, how do you feel about that? And, and how does that reflect on like your upbringing and why, you know, maybe you came from like a temple and so you had a really strict code and, and how does that interact with this person's really like great decision? And so then you can kind of have those conversations again, sort of like, out of the person outside of that in this like nebulous space where there's a lot less at stake because your ego isn't so tied up in it. Cause we're not breaking down who you are as a person. We're breaking down who like the halfling barbarian is. And so suddenly it's a little bit easier to kind of talk about that stuff. It seems like a really good technique for handling the conversations when stuff gets charged at the table. Like, yeah, no to the kidding. point where I really wish the GM, who did, as I said in the report, handled things very well, but I mm-hmm. I really kind of wish the GM in the Pugmire con game that I was in that kind of tilted me had said something to that effect, like, all right, let's pause for a second here, look at the player. Why did you just do that? <laughs> yeah. And right. because, you know, if if the person doesn't have a good answer to that, then I think it's probably fairly valid to back things up and say, all right, let's rewind a little bit. Do something you do have a good reason for. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, and this is maybe a question for Matthew as much as you, but does that get accusatory? Like, or can it can it run the risk of being accusatory? It was like, whoa, 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 why did you do that? And it, oh, you can't explain it. Well, then it it isn't well, valid. And I I don't I don't think you want to do this in every little situation. Mm-hmm. But if you did something that clearly has upset somebody else at the table, like that con game that I was at, where yeah, just to give you some context, Matthew, the character that I had been given 
had some stuff where it was very clear that he had no kind of racial prejudice at all um, against cats in particular. And one of the other characters just walked up to a cat sentry who was watching a bunch of other cats just having like a normal celebration of something or other totally benign and just cut the guy down without a word. And it was kind of like, okay, that's a little much. And I almost got up and walked away from the table because of that. And it like in that scenario, I feel like that would be a good time for the GM to be like, whoa, hang on just a second. Why did you do that? Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like there's a question could be asked of like, hey, was was that your character or was that you? Does mm-hmm. your character have a motivation to do that? If so, like, explain that to us. Like, let us know what that is. And, you know, if it was you, like, own that maybe it was just you as a player. Just being like, I'm just tired and I want to stab something. I think we all know players that sometimes are just like, hey, I as the player just need something to happen. So I'm going to do something totally off book for my character because I just want to shoot a fireball at something right now. I think we've all been in that game at the end of a con. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And yeah. that's when this thing did happen, too. This was the very last slot of a con. So, yeah. And I've, I've had games, you know, at 11 p.m. at night where people have, have had a number of beverages and stuff just starts happening because we're just at that point where people are just going to throw everything at the wall and see what happens. And, you know, you never know quite what that player was going through and what their con looked like and things like that. But, it, yeah, I think that's a spot. If you can have the conversation, great. I think con games and pickup games and, you know, stuff like that so much harder because you just don't have a rapport with anybody at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be those conversations are much more difficult as a result. Yeah, you yeah. can sometimes form one by the end of the slot a little bit, but you don't go in with one, certainly. Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. Con games are not necessarily, or, or at least most of the time, and maybe they should be, uh, but most of the time they are not designed specifically for safe space creation. They are made, a lot of the time actually, for boundary pushing. Or at the very least for high concept stuff. Yeah, high concept probably a little bit off the wall, and you don't necessarily always know exactly what you're getting into. And, you know, I would love to see more explicitly stated safe space theory applied to con games. I would love for that to happen, but it's not what's happening right now. So, yeah, it, con games, at least for for present day, may not be the best, most effective space to, to work that kind of thing out. Yeah. Well, and that, the, the other thing, too, is it's like... To keep using this poor example that has been used for so much of our content lately, but Mm -hmm. that was unexpected. Nobody went in, they were like, okay, let's, you know, let's explore the emotional effects of sudden violence on the people around the table. You know, somebody who probably had been gaming for just a little too long and was a little bit tired was just kind of like, I'm a stab something. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when somebody else kind of pushed back against it, maybe a little bit of a stubborn personality dug in their heels and... I got very little from the other player about exactly why he was doing what he was doing, even though I tried. So I have to kind of guess, (laughs) for lack of a better term. But it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't always know exactly what the motivations are behind something. And you're not always going to find out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people don't even want to know, I think. That's true. Yeah. All right. So the last thing you've got listed here seems a lot more gamist than some of these others, at least just glancing at it. Which is simply, try to say yes. What do you mean by that? Well, and that's that's actually a hospitality thing that both my boss and I really work hard to ascribe to. Hmm. Um, and that's when somebody asks for something, you know, what do I need to do to say yes to that? 
they're just general stipulations in life that I, they're just things that I can't say yes to. But, you know, if somebody asks, hey, you know, can I, can I bring my dog with me because I'm traveling and, and we're going to stay at your retreat center for a couple of days and then I got to continue travel. It's okay. All right. That's an issue. How do I say yes to that? What do I need to line up? And I think, you know, I think GMs, there's always this argument between, you know, should you say yes and or yes, but is there a no, but, and there's a big spectrum on that about where people fall. But I think my goal is to say, okay, you've asked something that's, that's reasonable. How do we as a group say yes to that? And, and that's not always a conversation that you have. It's just like, okay, this player is really interested in exploring this cave system because they think that there's some really powerful treasure that's important to them at that. How do we as a group say, you know, as characters, we care about this other character, so we're going to be supportive of that. But what do we need to do? Like, what needs to happen for us to be okay with that? And it's it's not always a conversation, and sometimes it needs to be. And sometimes there needs to be stipulations to be like, hey, I really want this super powerful sword. Um, and, you know, how do I get that? Okay, well, you can get to it, but you're going to lose some things in the process because there's going to be a balance. And, and what does that look like? And how do we discuss? And, and a, that's sort of like a player invested thing. Like, I get that you want that, but what are you willing to give up for it? There's going to be balance. There's going to be loss. What does that look like? And what's your character comfortable with investing into that? And so it's sort of a combination of that hospitality idea. I want my players to feel like I'm invested in them, that I'm invested in them sort of getting to their goals, but also understanding that it's not just willy nilly carte blanche. I have to hold some accountability here and say, yeah, that's a thing, but it's not a free thing. There's expectation and there's requirement and stuff like that to get there. And you have to make sure that the whole group is kind of moving along with that. We've all seen tables where like one player just sort of takes it and goes. And that kind of leaves a lot of people kind of hanging and, and they don't really get to own their characters in those moments. Let me ask you this. You're obviously applying these concepts to your own Dungeon World group. Do you view that as a, a counseling game, like, you know, where you're trying to actively create those sort of spaces? Or is that just something that's so ingrained and good practices that it just is part of the game and part of the way that you run games and create storytelling spaces? Yeah, I definitely think it's it's very rarely planned that something like that would ever happen. You know, if somebody's got some stuff in their backstory, it'll pop up but not necessarily with the intention to create some deep conversation. It's, I really, I'm comfortable with the players being organic about it. And, and if something pops up and somebody wants to dig deeper into it, then I'm happy to go there. But yeah, I, I try not to plan for that stuff because if you take it there artificially, if you take it there in, you know, with my intention, then the player may not be with me on that. And that doesn't create a healthy kind of situation for everybody. Okay, mm -hmm. I got you. So let me jump around a little bit here. Um, you had mentioned that you were working on a, a card game that was useful as a counseling tool, or at least a, a role-playing game involving cards. Let, mm -hmm. let, me, let yeah. me say that. How then do you say, all right, I'm going to create a game that is explicitly focused on that? What, what are kind of some general design principles? What are you looking for out of that? Like, if I say, hey, we're going to play a game that is a counseling tool, what do you want that to be? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that the big key for me is empathy and compassion, right? Can we, mm -hmm. can we start to understand people outside of ourselves so that we understand ourselves to some extent a little bit better? And so it's, it's a lot about using traits and, and having some traits of maybe there's a kid who just drives you crazy 
and he's like super athletic. Great. And so maybe your character is going to take the trait of, you know, athleticism in this particular adventure. And you're going to see like, what's the bonus of that? But then also maybe you're going to get into a spot where that's just not going to help you guys out at all. And suddenly you see, okay, so maybe what I thought was this sort of like pinnacle of things is really not so great. Like it's not everything that I think it should be. And so I really want that. And then I want people to like explore their own traits. Like, hey, I'm really creative. But there never seems to be a place for me in school to be creative. There's, you know, there's no trophy for creativity. But maybe in game, there's a moment where like, you have a chance to come up with some really interesting problem solving. You know, there's a tree and a river and you've got to figure out how to cross it and you decide to use a baseball and some string and, and some pine cones you found to, to do something. Just creating space for those kinds of things to happen so people can can understand the traits of the people around them as well as their own traits and see where the positives and the negatives are in the sense that, like, we don't need to always compare ourselves to everybody else and that everybody else is kind of up on a pedestal because they're not me and I I don't always feel great about me. Um, But then to see, hey, I also have my own redeeming qualities. I also bring something to this group and they're going to need me to be successful. Um, and so it's it's that kind of combination and interrelationship. I have to ask, did somebody actually use a baseball string and pine cones to cross a river in one of your games? Um, they, they haven't, but those are a couple of the items. And, and while I try not to like, one of the goals of my game is always to leave space for creative problem solving. I'll put a problem out there without thinking about a solution so that I never constrain my players to be like, uh, you're not doing it quite the way I envisioned, so it's going to fail. But I put those items in there and I was like, could you do that? Yeah, I could probably come up with that. Cool, they're fun. If they've got a use, if I can come up with a use, awesome. We're going to leave them in the game. Just so people can be like, hey, I've got these six things. I have no idea what they do. And somebody else can be like, oh my gosh, if you did this and then you turn that one over there and you throw that over there, boom, you got it. And I talked to other GMs about this. I think when you create a problem in the game and you come up with a solution, um, then sometimes you force your players to use the same solution. And I really try to get away from that. And I try to do that with, you know, just in general with my staff. I'm like, hey, you know, these six things need to get done by tomorrow. And, and I need them done. And you guys know what, it, you know, what done looks like. But I'm not super particular about how you get them done as long as they're done. Um, and so, you know, my staff is old enough now. You know, they should be able to figure that kind of stuff out. And, and in their professional lives, I know eventually they're going to have stuff on their plate that they're just going to need to solve. And if I give them a detailed list about you got to do A, B, C, D, E, all the way through Z to get stuff done, that may be great for some of them and it's going to be terrible for others. So I try to kind of leave some space for that, both in gaming and professionally. Makes sense. You know, Hmm. I got to ask you, have you set aside gaming time as an activity at West River? With like, with our campers? Yeah. I've not, and and... I've pondered it, but I'm also hesitant to do so. And I think Dungeons and Dragons had a bad rap in the 80s. Sure. And, and I just never know who's going to pick it up and look at something a certain way. So I'm I'm kind of slowly working towards some of the less obvious game choices that mm-hmm. I think could really be creative and, and like could fit in for some of that stuff. Um, right. And I know there are some board games that kind of blur the line, so... Right, exactly. And, and you know, I, I do one week every summer where I'm, I'm full on in counselor mode in the cabin with the kids. Right. Uh, and I love to bust out my board games and we'll play all sorts of stuff with them because I know that they enjoy that stuff. And so I'm looking for some of those games that I'm kind of moving a group that I work with to looser and looser games until we get to the point 
And I'd probably just refer to it as, hey, it's just shared storytelling. Like, yeah. you've got some numbers in front of you. When you go to make a big decision, you're going to roll some dice and add one of those numbers. And we'll see how well that decision plays out. But I'd probably avoid from, like, the big systems just so nobody's like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is what you're doing at, at church camp. That's awful. Someone's <laughs> playing GURPS at church yeah. camp. How Somebody dare played yeah. riffs at church camp. You're yeah, Philistines. I mean, Philistines I, all. I would have trouble with anybody breaking out a Palladium game at a church camp. I'm, mm -mm, no. In most any context, really. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just mm -hmm. church, understand. Yeah, you can you can mine the setting, but what are you doing with that system? Come on. <laughs> is this where I plug Mega Dumbcast real quick? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. All right. Fair enough. Sorry, that's a, a bit of an in-joke. The friends of our show who does the Gameable Saturday Morning Podcast, Chris has a side podcast called Mega Dumbcast. Uh, my only complaint about it is that there's some cursing in the intro every day, but it's a daily microcast describing the dumbest thing on each page of Palladium's Ninjas and Super Spies going page by page <laughs> through the book. It's glorious. It's a really good podcast. Small diversion there. I apologize, but um, I kind of mentioned that a because it's it's good to know. You know, are we applying? The, are you applying this to what you're doing in camp? But also, I'd mentioned you know that I'd been to some summer camps. I remember on rainy days or when we didn't have anything going on, playing magic with other scouts at summer camp. That's mm -hmm. kind of where I learned yep. to play Magic: The Gathering. Right? It's where I got into it. I remember we would have all of our our backpacking stuff all loaded up, and we'd make sure you know we had like two deck boxes each of us. That we were bringing with, because yeah, we're playing magic. It's it's great. I mean, our our cards got super dirty, but whatever. It was only you know some stuff going back to beta. I mean, that's not expensive, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember getting a lot better at chess and playing chess and dealing with the frustration of losing at chess. For example, at camp, that was something that I wasn't very good at. Still not great at, but dealing with that and and having counselors talk with me about that and working that out. So that that's. Gaming at camp is not a foreign thing for me. It's never been role-playing, but playing games obviously is a good... It happens at every camp. It's just a question of what game and is it controlled, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Pandemic out and we've played Code Names and um, and stuff like that. So And Resistance and some of those other games. Sure. And, you know, that conversation about losing. Man, I it's probably best for the kids I'm working with when I lose because then I can be like, okay, 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 I got to role model this. <laughs> I got to show what a good loser can be. Nope. It was, nope. Good job. You did a great job. It was totally you. Yep. You beat me. Okay. 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 I can yeah, walk away from this. Square. <laughs> right. I'll be all right. I just got whooped by a 16 year old. I can handle it. I'm an adult. <laughs> yep. Um, I can so deal. <laughs> so it tends to be, you know, there's benefit to that. But yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think. You know, people have, have proposed to me, hey, why don't you just run like a Dungeons and Dragons camp? Why don't you just do like a full on thing? And and it's it's in my brain. It just don't know where it fits in the scheduling of things and what that would look like. But it's definitely something I've pondered. Sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you ever want, I, I know I'll be happy to kind of lean on any resources and connections I've got to kind of help you guys out with that because we'd be more than happy to assist because that's the kind of thing that I I would really like to see happen, especially in a in the context of a, a Christian organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. To to say that we can do it and we can, and it's okay. Yeah. Like it'd take it, away a huge amount of stigma, most likely. That, but also I think opening it up to other people and breaking some um some of the the stereotypes that kind of run the other way as well. Yeah. You know, I, there's value to that, but also I think it just would genuinely be helpful. I mean, there's a reason we have a good relationship with a lot of these other organizations that do the same thing. Right. 
Yeah, it'd be really nice if in 20 years the stereotype is, oh, role-playing games, that's that beneficial thing. Yeah, how do I get my kids to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've kind of hit a lot of the, the topics that I wanted to talk about. I guess uh, here's my, my other or my last question for you. How do you handle bleed in your games? Uh, un- unpack that a little bit more for me. You know, if you're running a, a good session where a lot of that stuff really comes out and people work things through, that doesn't just stop when the session is over. How do you handle that as somebody who, you know, runs a game and then the next day is working alongside these people for the week? You know, you're kind of in a unique position here in that your group doesn't pack up and go home and see you next week. Right. Yeah. And just to be explicit about this, Matthew, bleed is when your emotional state from inside the game comes out of the game or vice versa. Right. And I would say bleed into the game is probably the harder thing to deal with for us. Hmm. You know, if it's been a long, stressful day and everybody's kind of tired and worn out, what are they bringing in? But bleed out, I, you know, out into the, the rest of their day and the rest of their week and the rest of their summer. I think that would be fantastic. We just discussed a deep thing that challenges the way you look at other people. Gosh, I hope that bleeds out. I hope that, you know, you're saying, you know, I hope that kind of colors a conversation that you have with somebody else where you're like, oh, I remember this thing that happened in the game that, that kind of made me pause. And this is kind of one of those things. I should take that moment and like really consider what the other person's point of view is. And I have the benefit that a lot of the folks that work for me are folks that I've known for quite some time. You know, some of them I've known for eight or 10 years at this point, and I've watched them kind of grow up and, and I've led worship services with them and stuff like that. So I've seen a lot of their emotional growth. And so I kind of understand where they're coming from mid game. And, and that's the kind of stuff that like really excites me. I want what the, I want the stuff that we deal with in game to leave the game. I want it to go with them. I want them to have that moment where they are able to reflect on a larger scale and say, yeah, cool. This is totally like a thing in the game. And I get it a little bit better now. I've got a better understanding or a better response than I might have had otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the goal, right? If we're trying to to counsel and help people understand how to interact and work with a, a group of diverse personalities and, you know, the, the halfling barbarian and the orc wizard and, you know, how do we get along? Then if that leaves the game, then I think we're successful. Yeah. yeah. Last thing I, I want to end on here. What are your favorite games for, or, or games that you think would be really good for talking out these sorts of things, for being good opportunities for counseling, and, and maybe not even counseling, but just these sort of, let's create a safe space here. I'm not going to try and be a counselor in the game, but let's let's make a space that brings some of these things up and gives them room to work. Yeah, I mean, I think Dungeon World, I like it because of the lack of crunch. You know, I, and I, I can just say, hey, this isn't on your character sheet. This is just you. Like, take a minute, think about who this person is um, and how they would respond to that. That kind of loosey-goosey style allows for that. And there are games that are looser, but I think Dungeon World is kind of the right mix for new folks that are really just learning to game. Um, most of the people that play, like, this is their first ever tabletop RPG experience. So it's, it's got a good mix. Um, a game I was recently introduced to a couple of months ago is called Skeletons. Um, hmm. I admit I have not heard of this. Yeah, so you effectively play as the denizens of a dungeon, and as the game progresses, you uncover more and more of your backstory and how you came to be there. And so, you know, at some point you're like, hey, what was the last thing I remember before I died? Or, you know, what what was the thing in life that I lost that hurt me the most? And 
And it's these really like deep questions that you're answering and suddenly like you're interacting with the other people that are also playing these things. And there's moments where like you've got a blindfold on and you're just like sitting there for like five minutes because we're waiting for like the next group of adventurers to come into the dungeon. And so you've like dropped out big sort of plot moments and then everybody just sits there and like you're kind of like sitting in that stew and pondering like, oh my gosh, like how would that affect me and how would that affect my character and, and what's the, you know, what's that next revelation going to be? I really like that. And the one that I'm excited to try and I just haven't gotten a chance um, is a game called Ten Candles. And, and I know very little about it, but a friend of mine ran it. And several of the players I talked to afterward, and they were just absolutely blown away by where the game took them. You, you like burn stuff as you're going through, and it, the room is getting darker, and you're kind of losing stuff as you go. And it, it was a really like deep emotional trip for several players. Um, mm-hmm. and so that, that just excites me. And I really, I, I've yet to have the time to really dig into it and get a yeah. look at it. But that's something that just like, it gets me excited to think that there are games like that out there. Um, that are more catered to this. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say about Ten Candles, I, I know a, f- a fair amount about it, actually, um, and I really, really want to play it, but that one, it is impossible for it to end happily. You know the <laughs> ending going in, and you know it's going to be a tragedy. Um, so it. that one's a bit of a rough one. Like, that one, I, I would need a lot of prep to do it. I know. Because it's apparently also very, very tense, because as it's getting darker, things are getting worse for your characters. Mm, um, yeah, there's there's no good end to that one. Uh, like, hopefully, you come away from the game like f- fulfilled, I guess, in some way. <laughs> You're probably not going to come away from it happy, exactly. But it would probably be an amazing experience, possibly very therapeutic, depending on the the kind of story you end up with. I mean, the most fulfilling games I've had, and we actually talked about this last episode. Uh, the most fulfilling games and the best characters I've I've created came from games where I was like, nope, this character is on a tragic arc. Everything's going to end badly for them. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Being willing to accept a negative outcome at the outset is really rare in a mm-hmm. role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there may be just some value in that alone. Yeah. Yeah, we, we all kind of want to be the hero. Well, and so many are success-based, right? Yeah. You have to succeed to move the plot forward. Therefore, the most valuable thing is repeated success because failure means the story doesn't continue. At least that's kind of the, the classic archetype. We've mm-hmm. all been trying to move away from that as game design has progressed, but because, you know, failure should also be interesting, but yeah, it's there still is very still, much there. yeah, did you succeed or fail on your role is the fundamental mechanic that many games still use. <laughs> Which boils down mm-hmm. to, did you move the plot or did you not move the plot? Or did you um, move the plot up or down? Yeah. 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 Is there now less plot? <laughs> well, or even, you know, did it get better or worse for you? Yeah. And that's, we, we frame it as success or failure, which is interesting. And so going in saying, we're all going to fail, let's make a time of it, is kind of interesting yeah. just at the outset. One thing I want to harken back to, Peter might remember this. When we were first talking with Jack Birkenstock, I remember this very clearly when we were talking with him in episode 25. He mentioned that uh, he started the Bodana Group because he was talking with Rich Thomas of White Wolf. And Rich Thomas had mentioned, you know, was talking to him and mentioned that a lot of the, the mail that White Wolf got, and then this was in the 90s, right? You know, very different time in RPG design. White Wolf was 
as story-driven as games got back then. Yeah. <laughs> but Which is funny, because it's pretty crunchy by today's standards. Oh, yeah. Extremely, yeah. Oh, yeah. But at the time... I mean, ooh, you've boy. got stats. Yeah. I mean, it was... The only, the only looser game was over the edge, pretty much. But yeah. he got a lot of mail from people thanking him for making the game and saying that basically, you know, the the only way they were ever able to work out issues growing up was playing them out in a vampire game or a mage game or a werewolf game. Because those were games where story and emotion were part of the game and part of the story rather than being frowned on as distracting from the tactical solution. And it's an interesting thing. It's It goes back a ways to those games. And I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is there are games that I think are better or worse for this, but we don't have to look at necessarily games specifically designed for this as opportunities. Yeah. Other games will work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, I guarantee there are some games that are better suited for it than others. Yes, apparently um, Pugmire, if our uh, <laughs> anecdotal <laughs> experience is any That's indication. just good for bringing out certain particular problems, apparently, but... Um, I am sure I would have issues bringing up, you know, some very deep emotional things in, you know, just keep picking on them here, a Palladium game, because I'd be so distracted by the mechanics and everything else going on, and that's not really what it's for. We're trying to be whatever else we are. But, you know, Shadowrun deals with a lot of very deep material and very unpleasant material just right there in the setting, and that game's super crunchy. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. we ran into some of that in our Savage Shadowrun game where you ran it with Savage Worlds. Yeah, exactly. And and Savage Worlds is lighter than the core Shadowrun system, but it's not the it lightest fate. thing around. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But I don't want to conflate simplicity with emotional opportunity. I, I think they correlate somewhat, but it's not a guaranteed thing every time. Yeah. yeah. I, I would not use fate, yeah. for for example, but at least personally, I would not use fate to do a super hyper emotional thing. There's too much trading, like there's bargaining and, oh, you know, do this and, and all the compels, like the fate economy, I feel like would kind of drive the story rather than emotion in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it need, it just needs to be a system that people feel comfortable with. And I think that does most of the work for you. Yeah. Once everybody feels like, yeah, I get what I'm doing, then you can turn off sort of a portion of your brain and, and be a little bit more present. But if you're like, okay, wait, do I get 2d4 here or do I take half of a d10? What am I adding to this one? Um, but once that becomes rote, then you're like, okay, my brain can be used for other things now. And I can talk about like, yeah, when my character was a child, this was going on. Okay, now I'm going to roll my dice. Great. Okay. But no, seriously, my character's childhood was super crazy. This is what it was about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, once you get the, the rules down, then I think just about any game can be open for that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, if you look at, um, like, the Critical Role actual play or um, the Adventure Zone, they get incredibly emotional with what is just just D&D. &D. Um, mm -hmm. and, and Critical Role started off originally with Pathfinder. So, yeah, I guess it does more depend on what your experience level is with the game and, and what you're in the game for. I guess, yeah, that does that does make sense. Right. Well, I mean, how much angst have I had about hunting down the current campaign villain? One <laughs> more lengthy, than you should. One lengthy email chain and a whole blog post for Yeah. So yeah. far. <laughs> and, and, I mean, we haven't even brought it up in the game yet. Oh, no, we haven't. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I specifically made that villain as somebody you guys should really feel perfectly fine about just going and dealing with. Yeah. But, hey, you know, best well, laid plans. You know, that's it. That's, that's Lambert for you, I guess. 
Yes. <laughs> be nice to hags. That's the moral of the story here. Apparently. No, that's not really what that. The thing is, it's like, I'm not a murderer, but this bag really needs killing. Now what? <laughs> now that's what? Pretty, that's pretty much the uh, the extent of the analysis that's going on there. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we have anything else here? Matthew, anything? Um, I think I'm pretty good. I think, you know, if I was going to mention one other game, Dread is one of those systems that's great yeah. for creating tension. Just because every action suddenly becomes more and more palpable and you're like, oh my gosh, why did you even say that you were going to do that? Because now you've got to pull a block out of this Jenga tower and like you just put us all on like this course. And it, it creates enough tension where some of that stuff can kind of come out. And I just think the concept of getting to play Jenga while playing an <laughs> RPG is, was brilliantly done. So it's, mm-hmm. it's another good avenue for that if you're looking for something. And I'll tell you this, as a, a counseling tool, I think you might get a lot of mileage out of the character setup, which is the GM hands you like 10 leading questions and you answer them. Right. Things things like, why do you hate your job? Well, we've established now that this is a character who is employed and hates their job, but everything else is up to the player. Yeah, absolutely. I got to play one dread game at a Fear the Con one year. It was run by a very good GM who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And just from the character creation, it was a zombie survival situation, and character creation alone added, my character has a child born out of wedlock whom he has not acknowledged, and the mother has not really said is his, but that's because they're not speaking, and he was kind of dumb in high school, now he's a big shot in New York, and it's like, I don't go back home because then I might have to deal with this problem, but I'm back home and it's zombie time, and what do I do? And that just came out of character creation, and that's a very deep thing to get into in a four-hour mm-hmm. con game. And sometimes with with those questionnaires, I know that um, last time was that Michael time- Grant. I'm sorry, of course I it have- was. Of course, okay. it was Michael Matthews. <laughs> right. yes, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's All probably right, thanks. Michael. <laughs> like just just hearing that, I was like, yeah, no, that, that that's Michael. But um, yeah. last time Tyler ran a dread game, it got a little bit uncanny in that during the questionnaire one of the players added directly to the plot in a way that Tyler had not anticipated. Um, Because the question was, what kind of weird thing did you see uh, this past week? And then the player described in some detail the exact monster that Tyler had planned for the big reveal. And the the player (laughs) did not know. They just were like, yeah, no, creepy lady in the back with super long hair just pointed at me and then disappeared. And that that was part of what Tyler had actually planned. It was it was it freaked him out really wow. badly. <laughs> Give me back my GM's notes. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Okay, well, when we are reduced to telling gaming stories, it's probably yeah, yeah. time to wrap things <laughs> yeah, up. Probably. Time to wrap up. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a really yeah. interesting conversation. We've gotten a lot out of it. Hopefully, our listeners have too. Yeah, this was a blast, so thank you for having me on. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, once again, if people want to know more about West River Center, where can they go for that? BWCCampsAndRetreats.com. Um, and we've actually got three camps in Maryland, all sort of under the same banner, but West River's the one at which I work. Great. And I will make sure to link that in the show notes, mm-hmm. along with awesome. most everything else we have talked about here. Well, cool. Matthew, once again, thanks for joining us. Everyone else, thank you for listening. We've had a a great time and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to kind of keep a a relationship going and see what else comes out of uh, this. And certainly 
Once you get your game up and running and in a, a position where it's available to the public, reach out to us. We're going to want to know about it and help share it around to our listeners. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sounds yeah. great. And, Thanks, guys. And probably play it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, also that. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cough, cough, beta tester. Yeah. yeah well, let's yep. let's not right. beat her on the bush here. <laughs> <laughs> just just hit us up. We, we got yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sounds awesome. Well, from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. Bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.